All right, I've got a question for you. How many of you would, uh, how many of you would testify that you stayed up late and watched the big ball fall down at Times Square at the stroke of midnight? Can I see some hands? How many of you? Like, yeah. Wow. I got a church full of old people. How, how many of you didn't stay up and watch the ball fall? Oh, my lands. I don't know about you online campus. You go ahead and uh, tell us what you did as well. You know, New Year's celebrations are a, a deal all around the world, not just here in America, right? In fact, it goes all the way back to ancient Babylon. They believe the Babylonians actually started this. Uh, when they would start a new year, calendar year off, trying to do good deeds. They would go and ask for forgiveness to people that they had offended. They would release debts. They would pay their debts. Uh, they would try to start. Here's the deal. The Babylonians thought if they did good deeds at the first of the year, they would appease their gods and the gods that they worshiped would be nicer to them or to bless them because they went and did a bunch of good stuff. Uh, the Romans, the Romans on New Year's, they actually celebrated as the birthday of one of their gods, Janus, the two-faced God. I don't know about you, I have no interest in worshiping a two-faced God. Uh, but with one face, he looks to the past, and the other face, he looks to the future. Now, now more in line with, with, with what I like uh, in some aspect is how the Chinese uh, have traditionally celebrated New Year's, they, they celebrate with fireworks. Now, now they, were th they will shoot fireworks to ward off evil spirits from the past, but I just like the idea of blowing something up, right? I mean, like, you know, fireworks, you know, we moved here, and by the way, by the way, by the way, today marks the beginning of my 13th year as your pastor this weekend. Wow, pretty crazy, right? Pretty crazy. I came in the first Sunday of January in 2011, and here we are at 2024. And man, I love it. It's been an incredible ride. I know some of you are like, woo! Some of you are like, oh, for 13 years. Anyway, but I'm so I'm thankful to be here. One of the things that our family found uh, out about Missourians when we first came was they do things a little different than what we did in Kentucky when it come to New Year's. I got invited to a New Year's Eve party, a Christian one, and it was awesome. And, uh, and at midnight, at midnight, at midnight, everybody started running out outside and they all had guns. <laughs> and they said to me, said, Pastor, you, you want a gun? And I'm like, these are my people. Give me a gun. And so we went and shot a bunch of holes in the ground, but we, it was fun, right? And so... That's a Missourian thing for you, I guess. So it's pretty awesome. Hey, make you want to move to Jackson, come to CPC. If you're online, we have fun on New Year's Eve. So here we go. In America, you know, we have probably a couple of traditions that are kind of unique to us in America. Well, of course, you have the iconic ball drop at midnight in, town square, in Times Square. The other one that's kind of unique to Americans is we make New Year's resolutions. How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? Come on, I know there's more hands for this one, right? I mean, even if you're a kid, you know, we make New Year's resolutions. Now, here's a bigger question. How many of you failed to keep your New Year's resolution? Come on, now there's all kinds of hands, online campus, let's see. If, if you failed to keep your New Year's resolution, no, no condemnation here at CPC, you're in a good group of people, all right? We're all in this together. Did you know that statistically, 
Uh, 27% of all New Year's resolutions will be broken by the end of week one of January. 27% by the end of week one. 31% of New Year's resolutions will be broken by the end of week two. 41% of all New Year's resolutions will be broken by the end of the month of January. And 55% of all New Year's resolutions will be broken by the end of the first six months of the year. So here we are on this first Sunday of the year, and we are not going to be a church that makes New Year's resolutions. We're going to do things a little differently. Instead of a resolution, because evidently they don't last, today I'm challenging you to join me, and let's together make a commitment to Jesus in 2024. And here's what I want to challenge myself and what I'm going to challenge you, our campus here and online to do with me. Would we together agree that we're going to make a commitment to follow God's pathway in this year, to pursue the purposes of God and to put our faith into action in 2024? Will you agree with me on that? That together we're going to follow the pattern of God, we're going to pursue his purposes, and we're going to put our faith into action. In fact, that's the theme of the year. Our theme for 2024 is putting our faith into action. You may say, Pastor, why, look at our church. Look at how fast we're growing. Look at all the things that God is doing. Aren't we already doing that? Yes, but I think it's time that we can crank it up another gear. Amen? How many agree with me? We can even do more. I believe there's even more that can be done in this new year for Jesus. As God grows our church, we have more people. Now we got more people to do ministry with too. Amen? And I want to challenge us to put our faith into action and to help guide us at what does faith in action kind of look like together for mu much of the year, not every weekend, but for much of the year, we're going to be preaching through major sections of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a 30-year history of the New Testament church. It's the only history book in the New Testament. It was written by a Syrian physician named Luke. He was a Gentile. He came to faith in Christ. He became a contemporary of the apostle Paul. He was with Paul when Paul was imprisoned in Rome around AD 64. And most likely that's when he wrote, he wrote two books in the Bible. Uh, and one of them was the book of Acts. And probably about 30 years into this is when he wrote uh, a history book of, of the church in action. And that's what we're going to study today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. And we're going to look together at the first 11 verses of this, of this um, book. And here's what you're going to see throughout the year. Uh, why I, I want to challenge us to put our faith in action. Because how many know you can have faith and it not be active? You, you can say, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, I go to church, and nothing come from it. And I, I don't want that to be us. I want us to be that group of people who love Jesus, who receive his grace and forgiveness. For some of you, that's your next step, is to trust in Christ. You've been coming, you've been watching, you've been listening, you've been researching. Now it's time for you to take that step of faith. For others of you, it's time for you to be baptized and make that public profession of faith. For others of you, it's to get into a group or, or join a, a discipleship group where you can learn more about the basics of the faith. For some of you, it's time for you to serve. It's time for you to get involved. But for all of us, there is a next step that we can take if we're going to put our faith 
into action for Jesus. And I don't know what that looks like for you or you online. You've got to wrestle with that yourself. I'm just asking you, can we make this year the year that we're going to challenge ourselves to follow the pattern of God, to pursue his purposes, and to put our faith into action? And that's why we're going to look together at Acts chapter 1. Because here's what I want you to write down. Here's what you're going to learn out of the book of Acts. Not just the history of the apostles, but that the ministry of Jesus continues even today through you. I need you to understand that the gospel of Jesus, the work of Jesus, his ministry did not end the day he died on the cross. The work of Jesus was not finished when he was buried. It wasn't accomplished when he arose from the grave. Nor, as we're going to see today when we begin in book, uh, the book of Acts, because Acts starts where, where the Gospels end at the uh, ascension of the resurrected Jesus and then the first 30 years of the church. Here's what you're going to see. The ministry didn't stop when Jesus left earth and went back to his heavenly throne. It continued. In fact, what the book of Acts is going to tell you is that God has commissioned you and me and us and all who follow Christ to carry on the very work he had started. It wasn't never supposed to end. It is supposed to continue and it continues to this very day. So that's what we're going to do together as we open our Bibles. We're going to see that the ministry is still in us. See, I want you to understand something. God has a plan and a purpose for you and it's more than just for you to coexist with this, in this environment with one another. God has more for you than just for you to breathe air, consume food, take up the world's goods, and leave earth. God has more for you. He wants you to give back. He has a purpose and a plan for every one of you. In fact, one, Psalm 139 says, before any of you were ever born, God already knew you. God had a plan for you. He saw you. He knew you by name. God has a purpose for us. And when you become a Christian, for those of you who have decided to be a follower of Jesus, when you give your life to Christ, God all of a sudden puts you into this plan of his to take his word, his kingdom to the world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this about all of us. He says, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to go do good works. You are to serve. You are to minister to other people. And sometimes in the church world, and some of you grew up like this, we believe people who are used by God is a selected few. That work is only for the paid preacher or the, the priest or the clergy or the deacon or the elder of the church. That's not true. That, that is not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, in fact, in fact, the Bible says that all of us who are followers of Jesus are involved in the priesthood. All of us are priests to God. Now, some have a calling that is more specific to a vocation like a pastor, but not everyone, but all of us are called to serve. In fact, when you study the word in the New Testament, serving and ministry are synonymous. They are synonyms. They are together. And you and I need to understand that if you're a Christian, you are called to serve the Lord Jesus and you're called to serve the Lord Jesus by ministering your gifts and talents to other people. Jesus has called us to be salt and light in the world that you and I today 
live in. So I want to challenge you this year. As we go through the book of Acts, join me on this journey. And let's all of us make this commitment, not a resolution, right? They don't last, but a commitment that in this new year, we're going to pursue after God and his purposes, and we're going to put our faith in action. And listen, you can do it confidently. You can do it with your head held up because when some of you start telling family and friends, hey, I'm living out my faith, I'm going to get involved, I'm going to serve Jesus, you're going to get criticized. Some of you are going to be questioned. You're going to hear people say, well, I don't know about this. Oh, you're one of those Jesus people? Oh, oh, I think Jesus was a good guy, but I don't know if really he was a son of God or God. I don't know if he rose from the dead or anything, but he was a good Jew. He was a good dude, right? And I want to tell you today, I'm going to give you three reasons for this. You can have confidence to make a declaration today that you're going to put your faith in action. Here's number one, write it down. You stand on solid, a solid foundation. If you come to faith in Christ and you stand up for the Lord, you stand on a solid foundation. That's how the book of Acts begins. Look with me in chapter one, verses one through three. Luke, the physician writes this. I wrote the first narrative of Theophilus. So he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. I think it's interesting that the guy Theophilus, his name means lover of God. We don't know who Theophilus was, what his job was, where he was. We just know this. His name says he was a lover of God. And Luke is writing two books for this guy to read. He says, I want to tell you all about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles who he had chosen. And after he had suffered... He also presented himself alive. Somebody shout, he is alive. To them with many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, a couple of things need to stand out to you. First of all, you need to ask yourself the question if you're reading the Bible and you're studying. All right, what is, what is the first narrative? He says, I wrote to you a first narrative, O Theophilus. Oh, stop, don't go any further. What was the first narrative? Well, if you... This is Luke, and so his first narrative was the Gospel of Luke. He wrote two books in the Bible, Luke and then Acts, and he wrote them both toward the end of this ministry period, right? So watch this. I want you to look on the screen. I'm going to give you how the Gospel of Luke starts, and you'll see how they're connected. Look with me on the screen. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Stop there for a moment. Who's he talking about there? Other people writing a narrative about Jesus. Well, he's talking about Matthew and he's talking about Mark and he may even be talking about John if John had already written his gospel by now. We know that Mark was written just before the gospel of Luke and very easily because of Peter's connection uh, to the apostles that Luke, who was a contemporary of Paul, would have learned also from Mark and Peter, and he's probably referring to Matthew and Mark, most likely. He says, the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as, read the next two words out loud, ready to go, original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So we got eyewitnesses orally passing on what they had seen and heard. Look at verse three. So it also seemed good to me since I have, say the next two words, everybody read, 
carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence. I love doctors. I love thinking this way. It's how my brain works as well. You know, just a systematic sequential uh, pattern. Watch this. It's in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know. Somebody shout, that you may know. With certainty. That's confidence, right? Of the things about which you have been instructed. So look up here. Evidently, Theophilus has heard the gospel. He has met Christians. And now Dr. Luke is writing to him this orderly sequential letter, this book, telling him about Jesus and the gospel. And here's what I want you to pick up. Here's what I want you to gather. And here's what you should gather from this. It is, or it has been rather, investigated completely. This is not just hearsay. Luke didn't even write his gospel until late in the 60s, maybe even the early 70s. He didn't write it for years. Why? He is carefully investigating all of what he has heard. He is talking to eyewitnesses. He is listening to their stories. He's taking this one's story and that one's story, and he's seeing if they all fit together. He's investigating. Here's what I want to tell you. You can stand with your head held up high if you're a follower of Jesus. When someone says, I don't know about Christ, I don't even know if he's real, I don't know if he was who he said he was, and you and I can stand up here and say today, I believe on the foundation of hundreds of eyewitness accounts. In fact, let me just show you how uh, relevant this is. There's probably not a one of you in this room or watching online today who would argue with me uh, that George Washington is the, was the first president of these United States. Right? No one would argue with that. George Washington's the first president of the United States. How do you know? Did you see him? Were you there when he was elected? Did you watch his inauguration? Did you ever sit under his rule? No, not a one of us in this room are watching online. I can guarantee you that. <clears throat> we believe it because we were taught it. Well, how do we know what they taught us was true? Facts are built off of the testimony of witnesses. There are eyewitness accounts that George Washington was this general. Maybe he cut down a tree. We don't know. He rode over the Delaware in a boat, and he became the president. <laughs> Same deal with Jesus. The old Theophilus, I have carefully investigated with eyewitness accounts the message of Jesus Christ. You have a solid foundation to stand on. And you can confidently put your faith into action knowing you stand on the shoulders of those before us. Um, <clears throat> write this verse down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The apostle Paul here is writing to a group of Christians living in what we would call today Greece. It was Corinth. And they, um, they'd never seen Jesus. But they heard the gospel. They were saved. And Paul began to tell them why they can stand in confidence about their faith. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, I pass on to you what is most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And how many of you know that the resurrection is where all this is the linchpin for all of the gospel? Because it's, it's not hard to believe somebody died on a cross. It's not hard to believe he buried. It is... 
uh, act of faith to believe this dude rose up out of the grave. And that's where our gospel holds its power. That Jesus came up out of the grave and listen to what he says. And he appeared to Cephas or Peter. Then he appeared to the 12 disciples. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them, this is 30 years later, most of them are still alive, yet some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, the half-brother of Jesus, and to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he appeared unto me as one born out of due time. Paul says, listen, I'm telling you, you don't have to take my word for it. There are hundreds of people. And when he wrote this gospel, there were hundreds still alive who would testify Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose from the grave. You have a solid foundation to put your faith on. It's not just hearsay. He rose from the grave. Number two, you can stand confidently because you've been given the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll get more into this next Sunday, so you don't want to miss next weekend. But I'm going to just like whet your appetite a little bit. Look at uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 now. Luke begins to write what Jesus said to the disciples right before he ascended to heaven. It says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Now, we know by... Luke's writing here that Jesus appeared for 40 days after the resurrection. Pentecost was 50 days. So in a 10 day window, this all happens. Jesus ascends and he gives them these words. And in 10 days, the Holy Spirit's going to come down and baptize the early church, begin the new church and empower them. And here's what, here's what I want you to know. You can have confidence in putting your faith into action because Jesus doesn't just give you a religion to follow. Jesus is not asking you just to adhere to a bunch of commandments, to a book, to some traditions, or to some rituals. Jesus said that he would give you who put your faith in Christ a new birth. At the moment that you call upon Christ and surrender your life to him and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, you are spiritually reborn. You come alive by the power of the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus up from the dead and you are baptized into the family of God. He doesn't just come with you. He doesn't ask you to follow a tradition. He moves inside of you. This is the gospel. This is what no other religion will tell you. That God's spirit now abides inside of you. Who are followers of him. If you're truly saved, you've been born again. There's been a transformation to happen. And God's spirit has moved inside of you. Look at what Jesus said about his spirit on the screen Look at uh, John chapter 15. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will, what's he going to do? Everybody shout his job description here. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will declare it unto you. Here's, this is so important. People go around only bragging on the Holy Spirit and you need the Holy Spirit and this is what the Holy Spirit does. 
They're not following the actual Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit does never, never brags on himself. Look at what Jesus says. He glorifies me because he will take what is mine and declare it unto you. I want to tell you what happens when the Holy Spirit's truly working in your life. You go around talking about Jesus all the time. You will brag about the transformation that Jesus has made. Look at John 14, 17. He, the spirit of truth, the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you. Wait a minute, say it with me. Everybody read. And will be where? In you. The Holy Spirit of God moves inside of you at the moment you surrender your life to Christ. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit Jesus operated through the power of, he lives inside of you and he declares the Lord Jesus Amen. to you. Now Luke in, uh, in verse five quotes Jesus quoting John the Baptist. You remember at, Jesus, at John, uh, when he's getting ready to baptize Jesus, some people came to John thinking he was the Messiah. And John said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. But when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and, anybody remember the next word? Fire. And fire. Now, why is that key or important? Because fire symbolically in the New Testament stands for purification and passion. Let me ask you everyone in this room and online a question. Have you ever met someone whose life was completely transformed after they become a Christian, a follower of Jesus? How many have seen that person? Life completely transformed. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit moves into your heart, when you give your heart to Christ, listen to me, you start, there's a transformation that happens. He starts cleaning house. It's so funny. People get saved and they're like, I repent more now than I ever did before I got saved. And you're like, am I getting resaved? No, you're not getting resaved. You're being purified. The Holy Spirit's in there cleaning all that garbage out that you've let in for all those years. You start seeing the world different. You start being convicted over sins that used to never bother you. You'll start loving people you used to cuss about. He changes the way you see the world. He changes your perspective. He changes the way you feel. You start loving your enemies. You start praying, asking God to help you through the day where you, should, you just pulled your boots up and went on by yourself. Now all of a sudden you're thinking about God and you're thinking about wanting to learn about him and you're thinking about your purpose in the world. Your world gets bigger than just you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And when you stand out and say, I'm going to live my faith in action, you don't have to live out your faith by yourself. Many people say, well, I can't do it on my own. You don't have to. The Holy Spirit of God gives you the power to live out this faith. And number three, something you don't even have to question, you don't have to ask, you don't even have to pray, God, what is your will on this? It is straight up in the word of God. You are given a clear mission to live the rest of your life by. You're given a clear mission to live your life by. Look at verse 6 of this passage. And I'm so thankful Dr. Luke put this in the Bible. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring to the kingdom, uh, the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the periods and the 
that the Father has set in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. Somebody shout a witness. In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up, and they were watching And a cloud took him up out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing up into heaven. And suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, everybody shout, the same one. This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come in the same way as you've seen him go into heaven. He is coming back in the same way. And I'm so glad that God had Dr. Luke put this in the Bible because here's a couple of key points that you need to see out of this passage. First of all, you can't blame the disciples for thinking maybe now is the end of time and God's going to restore the kingdom and get done and get rid of evil. I mean, come on, look, think about what they have just experienced. They've just spent three years with a guy who was born of a virgin. That's enough by itself. They've spent time with a guy who who never cussed anybody out, who was never drunk, who never slept around, who was the most perfect and pure person they'd ever been around, who loved everybody. He loved sinners and saints alike, rich and poor, adults and kids. He treated everybody fairly. He preached the best sermons they'd ever heard in their life. They watched him walk on water, feed thousands with a little boy sack lunch, preach They even saw him raise the dead. And then the aha moment came when they watched him crucified on a cross and they remembered that John declared he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And there they saw the Lamb of God crucified on a cross and buried in a tomb. And on the third day, lo and behold, he walked through the wall one day. And stood there alive and said, look at my hands and put your finger here in my side. Hey, do you got any fish? Let's take, I'm hungry. Let's eat. And they saw the resurrected Jesus. And how do you, how do you not stand on the Mount of Olives with a resurrected Jesus and not think, wow, it can't get any better than this. It's time. Let's let everything come to a conclusion. I mean, if I was there, I'd been the first one like Jesus. Hollywood can't script this any better. Come on, Jesus, let's walk down Main Street of Jerusalem right now and holler out, oh, Caiaphas, oh, high priest, oh, Pilate, come out and see me, I'm back. I've been like, Jesus, the whole world will follow you now. What does Jesus say? It's not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has reserved in his own authority. In Mark chapter 13, verse 32, Jesus would say, as far as the hour of his return, neither the angels, watch this, watch this, watch this, nor even the son himself knows the hour that the father has chosen. Chew on that for a moment. What do you think Jesus was saying to the disciples when he said, that's not for you to know, but you're about to receive power to go be my witnesses? I'll tell you exactly what he was saying to them. Believe this with all my heart. There's a whole reason for my sermon today. Is Jesus was saying, you don't need to be distracted with the how or the when of my return. You need to get busy living on mission and be about the work when I come back. 
I mean, here we are. We got all these disciples looking up, watching him leave. And the angel said, what are you doing that for? One day Jesus is coming back. How many believe he is? Here's what I don't believe he wants. I don't believe he wants to see his church doing this. Aha! There he comes. I knew it was today. I've been waiting here all this time. I knew it was today. That's not what he wants. You know what he wants? He wants you and I to put our faith into action, be out in the highways and the hedges and in the ditches with people, pulling them to Jesus, telling other people about Christ, leading people to the transformation that the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, we ought to be the most surprised people on the planet. They ought to all be looking over our shoulder going, oh, you see that? And we have a, hey, hey, don't look at that right now. Listen, receive Jesus. We should be the ones saying, Lord, wait just a moment. I'm about there with him. We're to have our faith in action. I'm excited about him coming back. He's coming back someday. I don't know when. I know this. I'm not to let that distract me from the work I got to do today. Amen. Amen? Neither are you. In fact, here's your big takeaway. I want you to write this down. Here's what I believe with all my heart. The reason why I'm challenging you this year to go faith in action with me. Because our purpose, our purpose is to put our faith in action till he returns. I don't know when he's coming. Jesus said he didn't even know when the Father's going to tell him to come back. Is that pretty amazing right there? Here's what I know. When Jesus commissioned the disciples to go, and he's commissioned you and I to go, he's actually fulfilling a prophecy of the Messiah out of the Old Testament. He's actually fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, that says this. It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus said he was the light of the world. But isn't it interesting that he looked at his Christians, he looked at followers of his and said, and I say, you are the light. It'd be a city like a light on a hill. We're reflections of his light. We're to be his witnesses till he comes back. Amen? CPC, we got a lot of work to do in 2024. He may come this year. If he does, praise Jesus. But I'm going to be so busy, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to worry about that. I, I think we got way too much work to do. You know, we started paying for two parking lots to get built out back here. They hit so much rock. <laughs> we had to do something with the rock. We got a third parking lot out of the deal. And I'm just going to take God's sovereignty that God knew that if we put our faith in action, we're going to have to have three more parking lots instead of two new parking lots to hold all the people. Do I got anybody who'll join me on that? So let's fill up three more parking lots in 2024. But that ain't gonna happen if you and I don't go hit the highways and hedges and put our faith into action. Amen? We're already working with architects on drawings. What does it look like to expand this campus and double it and make it all work? The parking lots are one piece of that. The next piece will be the kids' wing, which is a little over $2 million by itself. 
These parking lots were a million and a half. I'll tell you this, because you were faithful to giving in 2023 and MAD was so wonderful, and because we live on a tight budget and our elders keep an eye on our finances every month, we had extra income this year and we've been able to pay over half of the parking lots in cash already. So we're gonna pay them things off quickly. And they're not even done yet, amen? You need to remain faithful. I need to remain faithful even in giving because God's doing a work through us. We've got a new work in Bollinger County that's gonna launch this year. And we're gonna go down there. I need hundreds of you for week, for months to go down and canvas the community and love on people and partner with organizations and other churches. And let's just go love and bring the gospel. There are people right here in this church and it'll be in Bollinger County Church that, campus that, that need to be professing their faith through baptism and families who need to be dedicated and, and homes that need to be built up and restored and people in discipleship groups growing in their faith there is so much for us to do. And see, lives changed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody gonna join me in it this year? I'm excited.